You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. This podcast is brought to you by Coors Light. Coors Light's the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. That's good, that's good, that's a good take, that's a good take. It's just after 7 p.m. at Banner Field, a soccer complex in South Baltimore, and the team is out practicing. It's mid-July, one of the hottest days of the year, but the heat has finally started to let up as a team runs drills on the field. Not bad. Freddie Adu is out there, focused, determined to help his team win. But he isn't playing. Our prodigy is no longer a prodigy. He's a coach. Golazo! I just randomly fell into uh, coaching, working with kids and stuff like that. One of my best friends owns a club called NLS, not MLS, but NLS. About a year, year and a half ago, he's like, hey man, you should come out and check it out. I go check it out and it's just this big club now that's running it. So I coached the kids. I ended up loving it, right? I ended up loving it because it was was a great distraction because I wasn't playing. Freddie's in his 30s now. He isn't playing professional soccer. Now, he's Coach Freddie, working with the Next Level Soccer Club of Hanover, Maryland. What I really love about it is that when I see the joy in the kids' faces, and I just remember that was me. You know what I'm saying? That was me. Hanover is a place not far from where Freddie played his youth soccer, where he led his Potomac Cougars with his own two feet to an under-14 national championship. A few months before this, in early 2019, Freddie was cut by the Las Vegas lights of the second division United Soccer League, his most recent stint as a professional player. Today, Freddie's 31 and is careful to point out, though he's coaching, he hasn't retired. There are a lot of 31-year-olds playing professional soccer today. Maybe things aren't over. So a lot of people want to do interviews and, and they want to do, oh, man, so, you know, so now that you're done, like, you know, it's all about you're done, you're done, you're done, you're done, which, OK, I get it. But for me personally, I don't feel like I am at all. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. For a boy who Nike's founder said could be bigger than LeBron, Tiger and Jordan, is Freddie a failure if at 31, he was coaching kids instead of playing professionally? All three of those guys were playing and winning championships at 30 plus. Is Freddie's playing career over? Where did the career of Freddie Adu leave Freddie Adu? What is his legacy? Welcome to American Prodigy. I'm Grant Wall. With Adu cut from his professional team in 2019, we're left asking, what happened? Where'd he go? What's next? Freddie had all the talent in the world, but never became the transcendent player he seemed destined to be. 
all while Michael Jordan won his sixth NBA championship at age 35. Tiger Woods won his 15th major at the Masters at 43. And LeBron James added another NBA championship and finals MVP just this past fall at the same age as Michael, 35. Where does that leave 31-year-old Freddie? Is he a failure? A lot of people assume he's a sad story. But I don't know about that. And I don't know if the story is over. Like I said at the start of the series, this is a story about money, too. Freddie was a player who made an estimated $8 million from soccer in his career. But not long ago, a friend in the D.C. area showed me an online memorabilia sales database. It revealed this in October 2019, several months after Freddie was cut from his last pro team, at least three pieces of his personal memorabilia were sold on eBay. They included his winner's medal from the 2004 MLS Cup, sold for $310, his runner-up medal from the 2009 FIFA Confederations Cup, sold for $405, and his personal credential from the 2008 Summer Olympics, sold for $25. When I asked Freddie via email about it, he expressed surprise and said he hadn't been the one to sell the memorabilia. He added that someone must have gotten access to his things while he was away from his Maryland home. I don't know if that's true or not, and frankly, there's no way to verify it. But I do know those medals were sold, and it bummed me out at first. Then I thought about it some more, put it in context. Freddie still owns the house that he bought in Maryland for his mother, Amelia, still lives in that house today with her, in fact. The family's got a nice roof over their heads. That's what matters most. And then I thought about an interview I did a year ago with Michelle Akers, the greatest women's soccer player of all time. She was selling her memorabilia to help buy a new farm for her horses and family. She told me she didn't much care about the memorabilia, but she did care about her family. With Freddie, it was different, obviously. He didn't want people to think he was selling his medals and deny that he did. And that could possibly be true. After all, the eBay listings literally said they were Freddie Adu's medals. And since I know Freddie clearly didn't want people to know about it, why would he have put his name on the listings? I don't know, but I do know that with any American story about fame, celebrity, success, or failure, money is always an aspect. Freddie grew up in a low-income situation, but when he turned pro, everything changed. And according to some of the people around him, Freddie let money influence his work ethic. I didn't come from a background that had money. Freddie didn't either. He came from even less. That's Jamie Watson, Freddie's under-17 residency program teammate. The next thing you know, he's getting million-dollar deals from Nike. He's getting... Campbell's Soup sponsorship. I think Chiquita Bananas was one. Sierra Mist was another. Every advertiser and endorsement deal that could have been put in front of him with dollar signs, he didn't know how to say no to. And I don't blame him. But money convolutes the game of soccer. Do I wish that it hadn't changed the Freddie Adu I knew from 2003? Yeah. Of course, because if he could have kept that mindset and not let the money and the fame change his mindset, 
he would have been one of the best players in the world. Money is a complicated thing, though. Nobody should be criticized for spending money on things they can afford, including fancy things. But agent Kerry Goldberg Trutanich, who was around Freddie a lot during his DC United days, recalls being concerned about Freddie's spending habits. When he showed up, he had a big diamond cross on his neck. And I was like, Freddie, when was the last time you went to church? He's like, what are you talking about, Carrie? I'm like, I'm going to go call your mother and find out how much that diamond cross was. Because if you're not going to church, you shouldn't be wearing that and flaunting it everywhere. Jamie Watson wasn't with Freddie from 2004 to 2006. But they came together again in 2007 when Freddie joined Watson at Real Salt Lake after Freddie's trade. Watson noticed a difference immediately. 2007, it's a very different Freddie. He liked this new lifestyle. I just want the nicest, best things. I'm really good at soccer. And everything that I had done, working hard to get to this point, I saw him stop doing it. There were other money complications too. According to Arnold Tarzi, Freddie's first youth coach, Freddie never received money he was owed by his club in Brazil. And Tarzi says Freddie's club in Greece, which ended up going bankrupt, simply stopped paying what he was owed on his contract. They had stopped paying him, as many clubs in Europe will do. And they said, here, we want you to sign here to forgive what we owe you and give up your contract. Like, why would I do that? I'm under contract. So they had him come in and work with their strength, fitness, and conditioning guy doing three-a-day fitness sessions, trying to break his spirit. And he did it until they injured him. They abused him that way. And to his credit, he wasn't broken. But when they couldn't break him and get him to rescind his contract voluntarily, they said, well, heck with it. We're not going to pay you anyway. And ultimately, he went bankrupt. And there's a substantial amount of money that was due him that was never had. These days, people close to Freddie say they do have concerns about his financial health. I also think there's probably some sort of part of him that wishes he was better with his money and smarter with his money. He probably thought the money was going to be coming in consistently like that forever. The way I saw him spend money, I get it. Could he have been smarter? Should he have been smarter? Who am I to say how to spend your money? But if it would have been me, I think I would have made some decisions of not buying and not spending and figuring out ways to invest for your future so you could let that money take you further in life. It's so funny. When you start your career, you never think about one day you'll stop. As you get older, you start thinking, all right, so what's next? When you're done, what's next? Because you're not going to be making this money for the rest of your life. That's just not how it works. I haven't always made the right decisions. You know, don't get it twisted. Spent a lot of money too, but between the ages of 14 and 18, luckily for me, I was able to save a lot of money. In the end, it's not a new story. People close to Freddie say his talent brought in the money and then the money influenced his talent which brought diminishing returns. But it can't only be money that caused his career to decline. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle and bustle all the time. And all of us could stand to hit that reset button now and again. And when you do, make sure you do it with a nice cold Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment straight from the Rockies. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. So next time you're able to sit at a baseball stadium, the sun's hot, and that vendor walks by, say, sir, I'd like a nice cold Coors Light. 
Coors Light's the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Guys, getting older isn't always fun, but it could be. And Roman is here to help. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation for erectile dysfunction and hair loss, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet, so complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Prodigy now to get $15 off your first month. That's GetRoman.com Prodigy. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. How did Freddie Adu go from being compared to Pelé to being cut from a second division American soccer team? There are a multitude of factors, big and small, tipping the scales one way or the other. But ultimately, Freddie's path is explained in his label, American Prodigy. The first factor is the American part, which is an American problem the desperation to produce the U.S.'s first true men's global superstar in the world sport. Clint Smith, a former college soccer player who now writes for The Atlantic, says the U.S. soccer system put all its soccer dreams and insecurities onto the shoulders of a teenager. We said, a 14-year-old boy, you are the face of DC United, you are the face of MLS, you are the face of U.S. soccer. It is up to you to make us relevant to the world and lift us up from soccer mediocrity to global football elite. And that's ridiculous. If I could go back in time, I would go to the spring of 2004, to Tampa, Florida, to that TV commercial shoot with Adu and Pele and say, don't do this to a 14 year old. Don't do this to a boy who's never played a professional game. Let him grow. Don't force this Pele comparison on him. Don't make him an adult yet. The expectations, it was it was a lot, man. Next Pele, I don't even know who came up with the next Pele thingy. Um, and it put this just giant expectations of everybody just on your shoulders as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. That's that's tough, man. I mean, I think that was a target on my back. I think there were a lot of people in the league, uh, heck, even within my own team, which was DC United, that did not want me to succeed. I saw there was certain signs. Here comes this 14-year-old kid, all this stuff. He hasn't accomplished anything yet. He hasn't done anything. I've been in this league for a long time. He's making a lot more money than me. I got a family that I got to take care of. And this kid's just coming and just just like that, we're just going to hand him everything. All of that helped me get a life that I would have never had otherwise. So, you know, there's also good and bad to everything. I've always had a conflict about my own role in Freddie's story as a media member. Was I part of the problem? Did I do enough to temper everyone's expectations? Was I blinded by our obsession with sports prodigies? These questions still hit me whenever we mark the anniversary of my LeBron James Sports Illustrated cover story. People congratulate me for it. And sometimes I'll tell them, thanks, but I did our Freddie Adu stories too. I, I guess my question for you is, 
this obsession we seem to have in America with sports prodigies, whether it's you or LeBron or Michelle Wee at the same time. Do I owe you an apology? No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm going to tell you straight up. Look, it happened. It is what it is. At that time, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought it was cool. I honestly didn't even see that it could be anything bad. The second part to how Freddie's career ended up is the prodigy part and the pitfalls of being labeled a prodigy. Prodigies are valued for their potential, but eventually that potential has to be fulfilled. Many years ago, I had a conversation with a respected coach about Freddie. He asked me the question, can you build your entire team around a C-list Lionel Messi? Freddie played a position that you had to build your team around. But unlike Messi, who can take over game after game after game, Freddie never showed he was essential at the club level. Talented? Yes. But not consistent enough. In soccer, there's a term called a luxury player. And as Ben Olsen notes, it's not exactly a compliment. We talk about luxury pieces where bring him in and maybe he's good for a goal and a moment of magic uh, at the end of the game. You know, that's a, that's a dangerous place to live if you want to stick somewhere for a long time. To be blunt, Freddie didn't improve enough over time. The skills he had as a prodigy were the skills he had when he was a vet. As Ernie Stewart noticed during Freddie's trial for Stewart's club in the Netherlands, his attitude toward the sport had changed. The love that he had for the game had gone away and that it had become a job. I, I missed the love and the passion and the, the just go for it every single time. So I think uh, all those responsibilities have weighed on him during that career that he had. When I interviewed Freddie for this podcast, I wanted to see how much self-introspection he'd have about his own role in not reaching the lofty career goals he had set for himself. And he did look inward to an extent he acknowledged that leaving Benfica on loan was the worst decision of his career. And he acknowledged that for years, he simply didn't train hard enough on a daily basis to get better, to force coaches to put him in the starting lineup. It was just my motivation level. That was my one flaw right there. I should have been able to bring it, you know, now that I think about it. And if I had a chance to do it again, I would do it every day. I'll bring it every day, every day, every day, because I did let myself relax whenever I was with my MLS team. And I think that hurt me a lot. Ultimately, the expectations were too high and Freddie didn't rise to meet them. It's as simple as that. Back in 2003, Arnold Tarzi, Freddie's first youth coach, said to me, quote, I hope Freddie doesn't become a sad story, end quote. That always stuck with me. Even today, more Americans know about Freddie than about nearly any other soccer player. Most of them may think Freddie is a sad story. 17 years after Tarzi first mentioned it, I asked him, is Freddie a sad story? Tarzi paused and smiled. He grew up to be someone who understood his role, somebody who had a lot of respect for his family, never any trouble. He wasn't like other athletes that you see the sad stories in, in, in the newspaper or on Sports Center, who was getting caught being disrespectful to other people, underage drinking, getting caught in a bar, intoxicated, drunk driving, none of that. He's understood his responsibility to himself and his reputation 
and how it would reflect on his family. So has it turned out well there? Yeah, he grew up well. He was able to take his family through some difficult economic times and allowed himself and his brother and his family to grow up and achieve perhaps the American dream, as we call it. I wasn't sure what to think about Freddie's story when I started this podcast. I hadn't interviewed Freddie in 10 years, and at first, he politely declined to be interviewed. Who could blame him for saying no? But eventually, people close to Freddie convinced him to do an interview with me for this podcast. And what became clear from speaking to Freddie and the people close to him is they don't see him as a sad story. Alexi Lawless, the broadcaster who said Freddie wouldn't live up to the hype unless he won a World Cup, views Freddie's career as a success, at least in certain ways. He has had an incredibly successful career relative to a lot of players out there when it comes to the money that he's made, the experiences and the adventures and the travel that he has been afforded because of who he is, the celebrity, all of that kind of stuff. Don't cry for Freddie Adu. The promise of prodigies, of young genius, is intoxicating. But the reality is that only a few will truly make it. Ivan Gazidis, the former deputy commissioner of MLS, once called Freddie the best player his age in the world. Gazidis is one of the more conservative sports figures I've ever met. Yet he couldn't avoid being a little intoxicated himself. 17 years later, he has regrets about how MLS handled Freddie back then. But he also knows this is sports. It's very unpredictable. Even today, with all of the analytics that we now have, the statistics, the amount of data, the amount of scouting that we have, the amount of development know-how we have, still today, there are kids who have exceptional talent when they're 15, 16, 17 that won't make it, and others who are absolutely ordinary players that are cut or close to being cut who actually turn out to be the superstars. Harry Kane, for example. I think we construct stories after the fact to explain what happened. But I think for the most part, we're inventing those stories. We don't know. But what does Freddie think about this story? His story? Is it a sad one? He certainly doesn't think so. Heck no. Heck no. I I don't know. I'm not a sad story. What the heck? I guess that it all comes down to the expectation levels that other people have. You know, you can't please everybody. You just can't. If you set aside all the hype, the lofty, absurd expectations placed on a 14-year-old to revolutionize American soccer, you're left with a story about an immigrant kid who became a professional athlete and took care of his family financially in the process. And if you ask John Ellinger, the coach of Freddie's U.S. Under-17 team, That's a pretty good story, even if there are some things that could have played out differently. It's a great story. And I think there are things he probably could have done better as he got older, like his fitness could be better. And I think he could have done things to extend his career and stay focused. But I don't look at it. I look at it as a great story and one that like, hey, you know what? If you are good enough, you can make it. And it doesn't matter what your age is. And you can reap some of the benefits of of being that good, that young. And so I, I don't look at it as a sad story. You can't deny that during his rookie season in 2004, Freddie made a lot more Americans aware of soccer and MLS. 
That year, DC United had easily the highest average attendance on the road of any team in the league. A 2007 research paper in the Journal of Sport Management found that all other things being equal, Freddie drew nearly 11,000 more spectators per game by himself in 2004. Those added spectators generated $3.25 million in added revenue, far beyond Freddie's $500,000 salary. And that doesn't even take into account television ratings. I help soccer in this country a lot. And that alone in itself is a success story, in my opinion. But not all success stories are satisfying stories. Freddie had promise that was otherworldly. He had charisma. And he had enough opportunities to leave questions about what could have been had things broken differently. Questions that have lingered in the mind of Freddie's former mental conditioning coach and mentor, Trevor Moad. It's a career that if you just looked at the stats, how many games, this, 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 you could say that's a pretty solid career. But for the gifts and for the hype and for all the different types of things, I think we're going to look back at it and say, what if? Former DC United president Kevin Payne thinks people around Freddie, including Moad, may have been part of the problem. In the past 14 years, Payne's also spent plenty of time thinking about what could have gone differently in Freddie's career. Had Freddie been given the right kind of support and the right kind of advice from people away from the soccer field, I think he would have been more successful. But unfortunately, because of the needs of a lot of people, for him to become a star before he ever learned how to become a real player, he could have been a really, really, really good player. And instead, he ended up being a really, really, really good story. For Clint Smith, Freddie's career was a tantalizing glimpse of an imagined future for U.S. soccer. Not only what Freddie brought to the sport himself, but also whom he would bring to soccer. I have these sort of counterfactuals and hypotheticals where I'm just like, what if, like, what if Freddie Adu had become like Messi? What if Freddie Adu had, his trajectory had continued in the way that, that it was when he was in his early years? What would that have meant? for this country? What would it have meant for U.S. soccer? What would it have meant for the landscape of, of Black children who, who might have entered the sport, but who ultimately didn't? In that idealized world, Smith thinks Freddie could have elevated America's soccer profile to stand closer to the more established football cultures of Brazil, Germany, England, Spain, and Italy. That is what I hoped and wanted Freddie to be for the MLS and what I wanted Freddie to be for U.S. soccer. And I think that's what everybody wanted him to be. And I think that's also, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a 15-year-old kid. When I was 15, I could barely make my own bed. Smith knows his soccer. So we compared Freddie's expectations to two soccer prodigies in European systems. The first was Ansu Fati, who debuted for Barcelona last year at the age of 16. Fati has Freddie's youth and talent, but at Barcelona, he isn't being asked to carry the weight of the team, much less a league on his back. If we look at this kid at Barcelona right now, Fati, who maybe he's 17 right now, but he was 16 when he came, youngest person to ever score a goal in the Champions League. I mean, he's incredible. If Fati were expected to come into Barcelona and not only save Barcelona as a team and lead them to a championship and score all these goals and assists, but also make La Liga relevant on the global stage. I mean, like even saying that, it's ridiculous. 
Like it's, a, it's absurd, but that is what we did to Freddie Adu. The second comparison is to American youngster Christian Pulisic. The now 22-year-old started his professional career at age 16 with Borussia Dortmund in Germany's Bundesliga, then made his debut on the U.S. men's national team at age 17, just one year older than Freddie was for his first cap with the senior national team. And also like Freddie, Pulisic racked up a laundry list of youngest player records. Youngest American to start in a World Cup qualifier, youngest player to score for the U.S. men's national team, youngest player to captain the U.S. men's national team, you name it. Today, Pulisic is making more money than any soccer player in U.S. history after Chelsea bought him from Dortmund for $72 million, more than triple what any team had ever paid to acquire an American player. And like Freddie, Pulisic is leading the U.S. men's soccer team's hopes in the wider world of soccer. But unlike Freddie, who had to develop under constant media scrutiny in MLS, Pulisic had a European Union passport, thanks to his Croatian grandfather, and chose Europe. There, Pulisic could develop in a hardcore soccer atmosphere with less American media glare. The attention for Pulisic developed more slowly, organically. Christian Pulisic didn't have the same level of hype as Freddie, but he has been thrust into a similar position in which he is being asked to carry the burden of a team before he was maybe ready for it. But but I think that Christian Pulisic is, as a player is probably much further ahead than Freddie was when he was at the same age. Unlike Freddie, Pulisic had already been tested at the professional level before that kind of expectation came along. In fact, most soccer fans in the U.S. probably didn't know much about Pulisic until after his first half season as a pro. I don't mean to suggest Pulisic was avoiding pressure as a teenager. He had plenty of it. But even after his breakthrough in Germany, nobody was comparing Pulisic to Pelé for promotional reasons, nor was there an expectation that he would be the face of the German Bundesliga. Pulisic didn't have the welfare of an entire league resting on his shoulders. I think Christian Pulisic's story, if he is a player in the MLS, is a fundamentally different one than if he is a person on the peripheries of the first team at Dortmund as a teenager, rather than a person on the cover of ESPN, the magazine saying like, can he win DC United in MLS Cup? Can he make the United States relevant in soccer again? That's not to say Pulisic's career would have been doomed if he decided to stay in the U.S. for a couple years instead of going to Europe. Sure, there probably would have been a bigger media spotlight on him from the start, and fans might have struggled to keep their expectations in check. Freddie's former teammate, Aleko Eskandarian, who now works in player development at MLS headquarters, still sees this as an ongoing challenge for the league. It still happens today. I see it all the time, where... Our public media is so hungry to hype up the next guy and create these unrealistic expectations. And every once in a lifetime, you have a guy like LeBron who actually lives up and surpasses it. But soccer is such a different game. And obviously we have, you know, Messi and and Ronaldo and all these guys who are, you know, once in a generation players. But you look at the trials and tribulations that they had to go through to get to that point. And they're nothing like what we kind of handed to Freddie right off the bat. And that for sure did a disservice to his development. And I'm sure messed him up mentally as well. And I hope we just learn from it and 
and kind of cater the next up-and-coming star in, in a different way that puts them in a position to succeed. Fox Sports broadcaster Rob Stone isn't so sure American soccer fans have learned to be more patient with young prospects. The fact is, in 2020, the United States still has yet to produce its first true global men's soccer superstar. You'd think by sheer luck that a country of 330 million would have done so by now, but we haven't. Pulisic is the closest we've gotten. Well, they want to say that they've learned the lesson from Freddie, that we should have more patience and and let these players grow and give them more time and, and surround them and nurture them and don't force them and rush them into this. But when Christian Pulisic is scoring and doing great things in Germany, we're on top of our desks screaming and yelling and saying, let's go to England and let's join a big club. We can't control ourselves. Because we are so desperate as an American society to have that savior, that international icon where we can all finally pound our chest and say, look, we did it. We got one. We got one that's on par with Messi. We got one that's on par with Ronaldo. And you in Italy know it. And you in Spain know it. And you in Germany and England, you all know it. Bow down to us because American soccer has finally, finally risen. But we can't help ourselves. Only eight countries have won the Men's World Cup. Eight. And all the winners have had a long-established soccer culture. So before we can compare American players to Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, MLS has to build the same kind of support systems that stars have in Europe. MLS's academies aren't at Europe's level, but they are changing. Today, MLS has 26 teams, compared to 10 when Freddie debuted. And MLS has a lot more to offer young prospects than it did back when Freddie signed in 2003. The MLS right now is full of teenagers, full of 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds who are starters on a lot of these teams and who came up through the FC Dallas Academy or the LA Galaxy Academy or the Salt Lake City Academy. And so the infrastructure is different. As Smith puts it, today's MLS isn't putting kids in a position to fail out of the gate at least not like what happened in the past. If we're going to use the metaphor of a pool, we just threw Freddie into the deep end. And we were like, we paid you a lot. You're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Go do it. Show us how good a swimmer you are. Versus what I think we we try to do now is to like walk these kids from the shallow end and say, when you're ready, there's the deep end. Your feet are going to leave the bottom of the pool. This is a terrible extended metaphor. But the point is, Freddie wasn't ready. And I don't know any anybody who would have been ready for that. And I hope that we've learned our lesson. I think MLS learned from Freddie. Hall of Fame defender Jeff Agus, whom Freddie took on 1v1 in his first MLS game, works on the competition side at MLS now. And he sees the league building an academy structure where young players can stumble unbothered by fan expectations and grow and have the chance to fulfill their promise. The pathway is more robust. I think there's more opportunity for young players to identify where those thresholds are to be able to fail and not fail in the public eye. And when you do fail in the public eye, to, to not be discarded and not be just completely out of the picture and to at least have a net to fall back on. And that net is the second team or is the academy. So you don't deselect the individual and you never see him again. With MLS ahead of where it was in 2003, you have to wonder, what if Freddie had come along in 2020? Alexi Lalas thinks things might have gone differently. 
if Freddie Adu came along in 2020, I think MLS is in a much better place, not only to give him the platform to be a star, but to make sure that the environment that he was in was conducive to being a star. Would it still be ridiculous to expect Freddie to develop into a player like Messi or Ronaldo or Pelé? Yeah, that's outrageous. But Lawless knows today's MLS would have at least offered Freddie more tools to develop and mature than it offered in the early 2000s. It doesn't mean they wouldn't promote him and market him in some of the same ways, but I just think he would have been much more comfortable and there would have been a much greater recognition of the responsibility to give him the environment for him to flourish, not just in that 90 minutes, but also in that 22 and a half hours that are as important sometimes as the 90 minutes. Freddie's old DC United teammate, Mike Pecky, thinks MLS could be doing more to help young talents like Freddie was. For starters, they could ask Freddie to help. His phone should be ringing off the hook from Major League Soccer. Not so much to play, that's on them. But he's somebody who helped elevate the, the stature of this league. And he's somebody that also has a lot of memories that could help young players. I, I would hope that his phone is ringing off the hook from those, but also from the league to basically say, hey, what can we do? We'd love you to be a part of this league. You helped grow it in, in an essence. And I'd be curious to find out if anything like that's happening, because that that should happen. Pecky isn't the only one who would like to see Freddie work with MLS. Former under-17 teammate Jamie Watson thinks Freddie has a unique perspective for the next American prodigy. I think Freddie needs to own his story and step up and say, I had a hell of a ride as a soccer player. I played in some of the biggest games for some teams all around the world, made a lot of money, enjoyed my career. Did it pan out the way that I had thought? Maybe not, but here's what happened. And here's where I messed up. And here's what I would do over again if I could. And then he needs to figure out a way in which he can tell that story and connect with somebody else that might be the next Pele or the next Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu providing advice for teenagers in MLS today? That's actually not a bad idea. But Freddie doesn't think the league should be obligated to do something for him. I don't feel like anybody owes me anything. I really don't. I'm just, I'm just happy that I was able to help the sport in this country. There's no denying it. Freddie Adu helped boost the profile of the league when it desperately needed it, jumpstarting its climb to where it is today. Just as importantly, Freddie helped MLS realize it wasn't totally ready for a prodigy. And now they're building the infrastructure to make sure they can provide better support for the next one. That's part of Freddie's legacy, too. But today, at 31, Freddie isn't ready to do administrative work quite yet. He might not be a prodigy anymore, but his story, his life story, is still in its early stages. He's only 31. I cannot wrap my head around just being done with soccer right now. I can't do it. I'm not done playing yet. So we'll see what the next four or five years hold. By that time, hopefully, the narrative might be a little different. You just never know. The pandemic gave Freddie time to finally get healthy in a way he hasn't been since his days with the Philadelphia Union. Then something amazing happened. As we were putting the podcast together, Freddie tweeted an eyes emoji. Watch this space. 
I get a lot of messages on Twitter, Instagram, wherever, you know, just on social media in general. I don't check them. One day I just went in there and the first message that was up was a message from Australian FF. And is there a way we can call you? They really made me an offer I couldn't refuse. That's next time on the last episode of American Prodigy. This Blue Wire podcast was hosted, reported, and co-written by me, Grant Wall. Harry Swartout produced and co-wrote the show. Reed Redmond and Jeffrey Besoy provided production assistance. Brian Decker scored the podcast and engineered the sound. John Yales and Peter Moses executive produced the show. If you liked American Prodigy, subscribe and give us a rating and a review. It helps the podcast get to more people. Or you can go all 2004 on us and simply tell a friend.